There you go. You got your coffee? Thank you. No, it's not coffee. It's water. Say no to plastic. Yeah. Got a few green people in the house. Yeah. Say no to plastics. No straws. No more plastic. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Wow, it is great to be here today. I, I really feel it's a little bit intimidating for me. Uh, when I was in Bible school back in the 80s, uh, Ron Maddox came and did a, did a missions week for us. And uh, man, God touched my heart during that time. And so, so this is awesome to be with some of my heroes today. Dick Brogdon. How many of you read Dick Brogdon's books? I mean, just, man, this, I, I was an alcoholic when I was 20. God saved. I was a plumber. God changed my life. I feel so out of place sometimes that I just, how did I get here? How, how did this happen? And it's just amazing. And I actually feel intimidated by all of you. Never forget this. God doesn't just see you as you are today. He sees you through the eyes of the potential that he created you to be. And I'm looking out today and I see today the potential of the world being changed, the cities being changed, and lives being changed. And that's, that's an incredible thing to look at your potential today. It's a little bit intimidating because you guys have the ability to change the world. And I, I want to encourage you, never settle for anything less. Don't settle for a mediocre mediocrity in life Push for greatness in your life. Let God do everything in your life that is possible. Go after God with all your hearts. Well, I'm going to talk today from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 10. I'm not going to read it all for uh, brevity's sake, but I, I know all of you guys know this stuff. Uh, you remember Acts chapter 10 is when uh, Cornelius... He was, uh, he was not a Jew, he was uh, not a Christian, he was not an insider, but he was still seeking after God. And God is so wonderful that He just meets people where they are. Wherever there's a hungry heart, wherever there's a desire, God just has a way of showing up and getting in people's lives. So Cornelius prays every day, but he really doesn't know God. And one day an angel comes to him and says, all right, here's the plan. I want you to send to the city of Joppa. There's a man there named Peter. Ask him to come, and he's going to tell you what you need to do. So he gets three men together, and he says, go to Joppa, find this guy Peter find out what we're supposed to do. So while they're on the way, it's at noontime and Peter's up on the roof praying. And I want you to notice how much prayer and God and marvelous, miraculous stuff go together. If miraculous things aren't happening in your life, it's because you're not talking to God enough. Start talking to God more and you'll start seeing more miraculous things in your life. It just works that way. So, so Peter's up on the roof and it's at noon, and he's praying, and while he's praying up on the roof, he has this vision from God. And in this vision, there's a sheet, and on the sheet is everything you shouldn't eat. And God lays it all out for him and says, kill and eat. And Peter says, listen, I've never done that. I have never defiled myself with this stuff. And God says, no, whatever I say is clean, don't ever call it unclean again. This happens three times. And then the door knocks. And the angel speaks to him and says, go down, let him in. You're going to find out what you're supposed to do. So he goes downstairs, and there are Gentiles at the door. These are people I'm not supposed to associate with. 
We're different kind of people. And Peter invites them in. And they tell him what happened. This man, God spoke to him. You're supposed to come with us. And so it says that Peter also gathered some people to go with him. So, so a lesson, quickly you learn, never do anything controversial alone. Never do anything controversial alone. When I was in Bible school, uh, I was just had just gotten saved, and I didn't have much sense. And so we made a big wooden cross, and we used to walk through all over the place carrying the cross. And one day we're walking along, and there was a strip club. So me and my friend decide, let's just pray right here in front of the strip club. So we start praying, and the owner of the strip club comes out, and he is so upset with us. He said, what are you doing out here? Are you Christians? Are I said, man, we just want to pray. We're praying blessings over your life, praying blessings over these ladies. We pray all of you would find love and joy and peace in Jesus. He said, that's awesome. Would you come and side and pray for the ladies. I said, as long as you clothe them, I'll pray for them. <laughs> so, and I told my friend, we're, we're doing this together. <laughs> and so we, we formed a group. You never do anything controversial alone. Always have witnesses. Create clear pathways for righteousness. Praise the Lord. So, he goes with them. Gets to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius then tells him the story. And uh, then it says, Peter began to speak, verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. After three years walking with Jesus, three years hearing the teachings of Jesus, three years hearing the heart of Jesus, finally it clicked. Oh, God loves everybody. Isn't that amazing? Some of you have been in Bible school for four years, and I'm hoping today it clicks in your head. Oh, God loves everybody. God accepts anyone who calls on his name. That the same God who loved me and drew me to himself is the same God who loves the Somali, and he loves the Indian, and he loves the Saudi. He loves people that you hate. Jesus loves this world. He finally gets it. Jesus had already told him, go into the, all the world and make disciples of all nations, but it finally clicks. Wow, Jesus accepts everybody. And then he preaches this word, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And then you go to verse 44, and I want to focus on these verses today. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way. Surely... No one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. They were astonished that God loved people that they hated. They were astonished that God accepted people that they did not accept. What is it that astonishes you about God? 
I'm astonished that God would love somebody like me. I don't know you well, but I'm probably astonished that God loves you too. <laughs> Most of the people I reach, I'm astonished. God, I don't know why you love them, but I'm glad you do. It's astonishing. And then Peter, he really didn't frame it as a question, but I think it's a great question. Who can stand in the way? Man, it's obviously God has accepted them. Who can stand in the way? What's the answer to that question? Us. God accepts a lot of people we don't accept, and we stand in the way of them. How do I know that? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus died. And he died so that every tongue, every tribe, every people, every nation would be here, surrounded in the kingdom, would be around the throne worshiping him. And 2,000 years after the death of Christ, one-third of all of humanity today remains unreached. One-third of all of the people groups across planet Earth today remain unreached. Jesus has accepted them. Jesus has made a way, but we are standing in the way. We are not doing what is necessary to open the door to bring them into the kingdom of God. Make no mistake about it, we are the ones standing in the way. In the world today, 7,078 unreached people groups. That's 41% of all other people groups on earth. 7.6 billion people on earth. 3.13 billion. 41% of humanity remains unreached today. Just in India, 2,554 people groups, 2,289, 89% of the people groups in India remain unreached today. An unreached population in India, just of 1.27 billion people that one visa gives you access to. One-third of all the unreached people groups. How do I know we're standing in the way? Because there's so many that don't even know the way exists. Who can stand in the way? Acts chapter 11, verse 1. This is right after this. They all get filled with the Spirit. They get baptized. Who can stand in the way? The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Who can stand in the way? Apostles and believers can stand in the way. This man, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Oh, my. <laughs> I saw you having coffee with a transsexual. <gasps> what? You know, the very first scripture I was taught when I got saved, my pastor taught me, I got saved in an old-time Pentecostal church. And the very first scripture my pastor ever taught me, Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. <laughs> Stop hanging around with those kind of people. 
Do you realize that the number one accusation against Jesus was not that he says he's the Son of God. It's not that he's blaspheming. The number one accusation against Jesus with this, Jesus is the friend of sinners. The number one accusation with Jesus is he welcomes sinners and eats with them. He can't be real. Some of your problem in this building today, you don't know enough sinners. You only know Christian sinners, and that's bad for your health. <laughs> I mean, it eats at your soul. <laughs> I mean, if I only had to be with people like us all the time, I don't know if I could stay in the kingdom. <laughs> I like real sinners much better than I like Christian sinners. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I get along with them much better. I was one, so I, I get along with them much better. I wasn't born and raised in the church, and I, I don't know any of that stuff, and so I just get along with them much better. We have to constantly ask ourselves this question, who's not at our table? You see, you need to make sure from here, from this day forward, don't let a week go by that you don't have a meal with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Go find somebody. Sit with somebody. In the book of Ezekiel, it tells one of my favorite scripture. It says Ezekiel, talking about how he started his ministry. And Ezekiel says, I sat with the captives by the river Chabar for seven days. And then it says, and I had visions of God. Let me tell you, vision starts when you pour your life, spend your time with those who need Jesus the most. Some of you, the reason you don't feel called is because you're around too many Christians. <laughs> If you would just get out there and be with people and spend your time around people and see the hurting and see the brokenness, you'd have a little bit more heart to do something. You just don't know enough people who need Jesus, and that's why you don't feel called. Because you're looking around the room and thinking, oh, I can just lead worship, and that's enough. I can just go to church, and that's enough. And there's people out there who need Jesus, and you don't know that because you don't sit with them. Jesus was the friend of sinners. So what drives you in ministry? Reputation? Success? Affirmation? If, you, if you're doing things for God for affirmation, you'll never spend your time with people who need Jesus the most. You know, you'll find a way to gather the saints together because <laughs> that's much more affirming. Spending your time hurting people hurt people. <laughs> Man, I, I, have, uh, I have people showing up at my house all the time at 2 o'clock in the morning. When I was living in Laos, they, they lived with this open-door policy. And we were the only people who knew Jesus in our village, so we became the peacemakers for the village. Anytime there was a problem, they just came to our house. So one night, 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up when somebody opened my eye. <laughs> Literally opened my eye. And they said, there's a fight in the village. You need to stop it. <laughs> I said, why me? He said, you're the only one who cares. I said, okay, so I'm going to stop the fight. <laughs> you start getting involved and invest your life with hurting people, and life gets messy. It messes with your sleep. It, it messes with your, with, with your mind. I mean, it is hard spending your time with people who need, need Jesus. It's hard. So Peter relays the story to them. 
And then in verse 18, they finally say, When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Finally, now Peter has got it, and now the apostles and the believers have got it. No one's standing in the way, right? Everything's cured, right? Not so much. Acts chapter 15. Now they started down a different path. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So now they're saying, okay, they can come in, but only if they become like us. So, so you're welcome in, but you got to learn to talk like we talk. You're welcome in, but, but you got to change your hair and change your clothes and change your style. And, and you got to, you know, if you'll become like us, then you're welcome. Then you're welcome. I mean, my first day of church, first time ever going to church, I went with a Budweiser t-shirt on. <laughs> and I was quickly taught that was not proper attire. So the day I got saved, I got saved that day, gave my heart to the Lord that day. That week, they came to my house, and, and, and we, they made a bonfire. They went through my room and pulled all my ACDC posters off the wall and, and asked, they said, give me all your music. And I gave them all the music and all my Budweiser. I had a classic Billy Idol t-shirt that I wore everywhere and put it all on the fire. We gathered his Lord, bless him, and deliver him from all this stuff, and then boom, it's gone. <laughs> and then I started listening to Christian music, and I thought, oh, Lord, deliver me from this, this pain, this agony. <laughs> Lord, please save ACDC so I can hear some decent music. <laughs> Lord, this is horrible. <laughs> I still, I just don't listen to much music because I love Jesus, but I can't handle it. So I just don't listen to a lot of music. So, they can come in, but they got to be like us. So then they got to go through this thing again. So James, one of the apostles, he said, we believe, verse 11, it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And then they come up with this Beautiful verse. Man, this is, this is uh, we've actually made hats of this. It is my judgment, verse 19, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In Live Dead India, we have hats that said DMLD. Don't make life difficult. And on the back of the hat, it says stupid. <laughs> Don't make life difficult, stupid. <laughs> We love making life difficult on people when they come to Jesus. Instead of just saying, you know what, let, let's, let's just journey together. Let's see where God takes us. Let's let the Spirit of God speak to us. Let's let the Spirit of God work in us. Let's let Him clean us up and make us what we need to be. But my goal in life is not to see how hard I can make your life. My goal in life is to release you into the grace of God so that you can experience the glory of God and see God working in your life and experience fulfillment and life and peace. I want to see us released into God's purposes for our life. Our goal is not to make your life more difficult. It is to release you into a life that is worth living. I mean, don't ever feel sorry for me for going to India. I always tell people, don't ever feel sorry for a missionary unless they're a sorry missionary. 
And a sorry missionary, somebody that stands up and says, oh, God's sending us to India, pray for us, and it's so hard, and I don't know if we're going to make it. And just don't pray for them. Just tell them, please don't go. India doesn't want you. <laughs> India doesn't need that. Man, we, we need people that, man, I, people have asked me all the time, how would you know God called you to India? And I'll be honest, I'm really not sure he did. I was in Bible school, and I was just studying, and I had a class of a lady who was a former missionary in India. She started telling stories about India, Sister Ruth Bruce. She's telling stories about India. And one day after class, I said, this isn't right. A billion people who've never heard 500,000 villages without a church, somebody needs to do something about it. She said, I agree with you. I said, well, how about me? She said, how about you? I said, send me. I'm ready to go. She said, I don't have any money. I said, introduce me to somebody with money. She introduced me to David Grant, bought me a ticket, sent me to India. That was in 1991. And I've been there ever since. (laughs) Still waiting on my call. (laughs) Still still waiting. Maybe one day (laughs) the Lord's going to call me. But while I'm waiting, I am loving life. There is no life live like living for the Lord. You remember the apostles, you know, that uh, the Bible tells us that at the end, 40 days Jesus spent with them. He told them the same things over and over for 40 days. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all people. Go make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then the very last thing he says, you're going to receive power. When the Spirit of God comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And literally, moments after those words come out of his life, Jesus starts ascending into heaven. Can you imagine being there in that moment? And they're watching you and it's like, whoa, it's happening. This is real. And there, Jesus goes up. And then literally, you can look at Acts 1.11. It says, they're standing there. What are we supposed to do now? I mean, if he wanted us to do something, he should have told us. Right? And literally, it says that God had to send an angel to them. And the angel comes up to them and says, Why are you standing here looking up into heaven? They're like, Oh, that's right. Go to Jerusalem, power, Israel. Got it. They went out and did it. Then very quickly, we all forgot again. So for two things, thousand years, the majority of the church has been standing in church buildings, looking up in heaven and saying, God, if you just tell us what to do, you know, you know where to find me. I'm, I'm here in Bible school, and just let me know what you want me to do. <laughs> and while you are standing and waiting, the lost are dying, having never heard the name of Jesus Christ. While you're waiting on God, God is waiting on you. To go and to do something about it. So why? Why are we standing in the way? Four quick words. Prejudice. Let me tell you, we don't have a refugee problem. We have a refugee opportunity. (laughs) We don't have a refugee problem. We have a refugee opportunity. I don't care what your political persuasion is. 
if you are a follower of Christ and you hear that somebody has come to you, you better just thank you and say, thank you, Jesus, for bringing the lost to my door. You got two options today. You can either go across the street and reach a Somali with the gospel or go to Somali where you're probably going to die. Thank the Lord that God brought Somalis to Minneapolis. You don't have a refugee problem. You've got a refugee opportunity that every day you used to say, thank you, Lord, for bringing the lost to my door. <laughs> thank you, Lord, that I have opportunities today to reach people from nations and places where I could not go. Thank you, Jesus. But we don't do it because of prejudice. God loves people you hate. God loves people you hate. I have three sons that were raised with unreached people. My sons never had a Western friend, never had a Christian friend. My oldest son just grew up just being around uh, people who need Jesus. We were in, uh, we were in Laos when uh, Osama bin Laden was killed. Never forget, we're sitting in a restaurant watching the TV screen, and there's Osama bin Laden was killed, and there's just like rejoicing in the streets. And my son got quiet. And the next day, my son said to me, he said, Dad, I get it. He's a bad man, and he probably should have died. I get it. But I just don't get how anybody who loves Jesus could be glad when somebody goes to hell. God loves people you hate. The only reason we're here today was because the terrorist of the day, Saul, was loved by God when all the church feared him. And the hated terrorist Saul became the apostle Paul that first preached the gospel to people like me and you so that we could be in the kingdom of God. God loves people you hate. Don't allow prejudice to keep you and stand in the way of people. Embrace people. Embrace people as the Lord has embraced you. Prejudice. Secondly, indifference. Ellie Wessel, who was a survivor of the Holocaust, he said this, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Love and hate are both emotions. Love is something that pushes you to get involved. Indifference is something that allows you to stay where you are and do nothing about it. If you are indifferent to the cause of Christ among people around the world who have never heard the gospel, make no mistake about it, we are standing in the way of what God wants to do around the world. Indifference. Third, fear. Fear. Trust is the only cure for fear. We would not be here today if the early apostles made their decisions on the call of God based on danger. The majority of unreached people in this world today live in dangerous, hard-to-access, difficult places that may cost you your life. And the only reason we are here today is because the early church decided preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than our lives. When they were threatened, if you continue to preach the gospel, we will beat you, we will throw you in prison, we will kill you. They continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because they viewed preaching 
Choosing Christ more important than their very lives. Do not allow fear to keep you standing in the way. And finally, the love of this world. There's a theology today that says something like this. The chief end of life is the happiness of man. The gospel tells us the chief end of life is the glory of God. Just like Deimos, who loved this present world and stopped, the love of this world keeps many. You want the car, you want the house, you want the job, you want the stuff, and you can accumulate all the stuff and people will continue to die without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. At some point, you have to determine this world is not my home. It says that Abraham, his whole life, he lived in a tent. He got to the promised land and lived in a tent. Isaac and Jacob, his sons, they lived in tents. Why? They never put roots in this world. I may be in a place that's called the promised land, they were saying, but I'm looking for a city. I'm looking for something else. I'm looking for beyond. I'm not settled with anything here in this world. I want to encourage you today. Don't settle for anything less than the fullness of God's plans for your life. It's not just about you. It's about those God has ordained that you reach. I know we're out of time. Let me just share this with you. I used to go up to this area right on the China border. The last village in India is a, is a town called Milam, and it's in an area called Munciari. There's a people group there, the Munciari people, and I used to go trekking up in this area. It took days from our house to get there, and we'd go trek and preach, and after years of preaching, nothing happened. And then one day, God spoke to somebody. God had a vision. They came to my house. They, uh, a group of three of them came. Some of them were demon-possessed, cast out demons. They gave their heart to the Lord. And out of the first three that came, one of them's a pastor today, and two of them are pastor's wives today. You know, they're serving the Lord in that area. And in that area today, a family came to the Lord. Just in December, the first family who came to the Lord, they both died tragically within a, within a few weeks of each other. And where we're at, I live on the side of a mountain. It's like this. It's just straight up and down where the graveyard is because they don't want Christians buried anywhere close to the city. And so, so, so we got her on a rack. We don't have mortuaries or anything. So you got to bury them as soon as they die. And so, so we're walking down and a hailstorm starts. And I, I've never seen a hailstorm like this. It was within, within minutes. There's like three inches of hail on the ground. We're getting pelted with golf ball size. And we can't stop because we're, we're carrying the body down. We get down to the bottom, and the hole we dug is now filled with ice and, and water, and so we have to scoop everything out, and uh, we finally get the body in. Then we have to take all the mud and put it in. By the time we're finished, we're just muddy. I can barely feel my hands, and I'm just standing there, and I'm thinking, this day is bad. This is a bad day, and as I stood there, the realization hit me in a moment, and I could see them. This is the first day from this language this tribe that around the throne of God, Jesus is being worshipped today in a language not heard before in heaven, by a people not seen before in heaven. Today, Jesus is receiving the reward of his sacrifice. And I pray that would happen hundreds of times more because of you that you would experience that. Would you just lift your hands, Father?
I just pray for these as they surrender their lives to you today. God, would you give them that joy of being used of you to see people who've never heard hearing and walking into your grace, receiving your life, seeing your presence. God, would you have your way? I know some of you have to slip out. Don't feel bad about it. If you got to slip out, if you got classes, we understand. But for everybody else, I just want to open up the altar right now and say, I want you to come and say, God, I am not going to stand in the way of any longer. I'm tired of standing in the way. I want my presence to be a welcome to the world. I want my presence to be an opportunity for the world to meet you. I don't want my presence standing in the way of anybody. God, whatever you have for me, I open my life up to you. Would you just come around these altars right now and just dedicate yourself? Today, usually uh, many spend this out next hour in prayer and fasting if you want to join, but we're just going to pray. And let's just worship the Lord. God, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. On behalf of people who have not heard, on behalf of nations that are waiting. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Lord, I'm tired of standing and looking. I'm tired of standing and looking. Lord, I just pray right now, would you pour out your power, the power we need to do your work. Lord, we've come to our Jerusalem right now. We've come to this altar, a place of Jerusalem, an upper room place. We've come together right now saying, God, I have fear in my heart that is debilitating. Lord, I have prejudice against people. Lord, I have lived with indifference. God, I need you to do in me what I can't do in myself. Lord, would you create a love within me that I've never had before? Would you put a heart within me I've never had before? Would you put a welcome in my heart that I've never had before? That the world would see a welcome to you through my life. Lord, that there would be a welcome to your table. Lord, that you have set a table in heaven and you have invited the world to come in. You have invited them to come to this great feast where they will enjoy life in your presence. And Lord, would we be a welcome to that table? Would we be a welcome to the world around us, Lord? To find hope, to find life, to find peace that only comes from you. Lord Jesus, be glorified, be glorified, be glorified. Be glorified, Lord. Be glorified, Lord Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, we welcome you. Before we can welcome the world, we welcome you into our lives. Have your way. Have your way. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Lord Jesus, whatever you desire... Whatever you have in store, Lord, I open my heart to you. I open my life to you. Be glorified, Lord Jesus. 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 Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus.